Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is ESPN 1530, Cincinnati Sports Station. Yes, indeed it is. Hi, hello, and welcome. Hour number three, final hour of the show. Cincy 360, I'm Austin Elmore. In for Tony Pike today. We'll talk to Tony in about 45 minutes. He's filling in for Mo Egger. Live from Miami Valley Gaming in Monroe. He's got a bunch of prizes to give away. Bengals gear, Reds tickets, so on and so forth. We'll talk about all of that with Tony in a little bit. We're going to switch the conversation to some Bengals talk, and it's time to catch up with a guy we have not caught up with since the end of the football season, which feels like forever ago, but it was just a little bit ago. His name is Sam Monson. He is the lead NFL analyst at Pro Football Focus, the co-host of the Pro Football Focused NFL pod and uh, Sam joins us now Sam how you doing today man how you been doing well how's it going guys it's doing wonderful and let's start with uh, looking at the Bengals in free agency they did what they seem to have done the last couple of years which is uh, nothing for a couple of days and then boom all of a sudden Orlando Brown Jr. is the new left tackle in Cincinnati what did you make of that signing for the Bengals yeah, I think that was a, a fascinating move for them. And I think it was Paul Daner in The Athletic had a, a really interesting article that kind of broke down, you know, how it came about. And it was very much uh, ad hoc on the hoof, essentially a, a reflection of a change in, in the approach. They hadn't really considered that Orlando Brown would be a viable option. They assumed that he would be grabbed in the first wave of free agency. And they would kind of assumed that their money that they had to spend would be allocated in other ways or in other players. And then all of a sudden the, the combination of those two things, Orlando Brown, not having a tremendously hot market um, and their money, you know, not getting tied up in players that they expected it to, they kind of put two and two together and said, well, let's combine the money that we were going to spend on, on retaining a few of these guys. And instead throw it all at Orlando Brown and, and really upgrade at left tackle. Um, and I, I think that's a really good move. Jonah Williams, you know, had a, had a rough season last year, gave up a league-leading 12 sacks. And even if you assume that he's better than that baseline, I think it's a clear upgrade to go to a guy like Orlando Brown at a time when you would have been sort of staring down the barrel at a, a vastly uh, Im, or a vastly bigger contract that you're going to have to give Jonah Williams down the line anyway. Yeah, I mean, when the baseline is not very high to begin with, I mean, it, it obviously feels like a significant step forward. E- evaluate him from your perspective, Orlando Brown Jr., because we, you know, we hear from a lot of Chiefs fans that say, okay, well, he's good, but he certainly has his deficiencies. But that's true about every player in the National Football League. What do you see as the strengths and weaknesses of Orlando Brown Jr.'s game? Yeah, I think he is good, not great. Um, I think that's his standard, but he's been consistently good and he's been good in multiple different systems at multiple different positions. You know, he started off as a right tackle, wanted to prove that he could play left tackle at the same level and did, you know, change teams, change positions and just kept on trucking like, like exactly the same player from right tackle. So he 
maybe counterintuitively for a guy his size. He's a better pass blocker than he is a run blocker. Um, he's consistently good as a pass protector. He's never had a PFF grade below 74. Um, those guys that are sort of good, not great, you're going to get games that are rough. Um, mm-hmm. And you will find you know, the occasional game in a season where he struggles, particularly against certain types of uh, edge rushers. But overall, he's going to be a good pass-blocking left tackle for you and sort of set a baseline of very good play. Early last season, I don't know if it was something he was dealing with or if he just struggled to get into the year for whatever reason, but he had a run where he wasn't playing particularly well at all. But from like the halfway point onwards, um, he was one of the better left tackles in the NFL. Talking to Sam Monson, pro football focus. So the fallout of or, of landing Orlando Brown Jr. is the fact that Jonah Williams now wants a trade because I guess similarly to Orlando Brown, he wants to be a left tackle. Uh, you, you mentioned the baseline is not very high. He struggled at, at points last year, obviously dealt with some injuries, has an offseason surgery. What type of value do you think the Bengals could get from Jonah Williams? Is there a ceiling there that he could still reach that teams would be interested in? And obviously the reports are several teams are interested. Yeah, I think he's shown that he can be a capable starting left tackle. Um, I, I think there's a distinction there between capable and you know good, which is where Orlando Brown is. There's, there's definitely a difference. But I think Jonah Williams has shown that he can start and not be a liability and be a solid uh, starting left tackle in the NFL. And there's, there's absolutely value to that because there are teams that do not have a solid starter. There are teams that have liabilities starting at left tackle. And if you can go from one of those guys to a guy that you no longer need to sort of worry about every single week, mm-hmm. that's a massive upgrade. The problem is it's complicated a little bit more by the fact that he's reaching the end of his rookie deal. You know, a team who takes him on is not only going to have to bring him in, but have to think about, do we extend him? Do we make that decision? You know, do we play it out as a short-term rental and then maybe extend him if he has an improved year? It's a, it's an awkward situation in terms of determining what his value is because his future, I think is so up in the air, um, even independent of what he looks like in a new environment. Absolutely. I, I certainly understand that. And, and that is uh, kind of the complicated part of this whole thing. Another complicated part for the Bengals, Sam, is the fact that they lost their two starting safeties in free agency. Von Bell to the Carolina Panthers, Jesse Bates to the Atlanta Falcons. These are guys that played almost 99% of their defensive snaps last year. There's a lot of veteran leadership back there. The Bengals are going to rely on Dax Hill, who was up and down in his rookie year and didn't get a lot of snaps. And then they go and they sign a guy like Nick Scott uh, coming from the Los Angeles Rams. What can you tell us about Nick Scott, and and what do you expect the drop-off to be at that position for the Bengals next year? Yeah, I think they definitely wouldn't have wanted to lose both of those guys. I think they were always planning on letting Jesse Bates walk out the door. They, They sort of Uh, flagged that very early that that was kind of the route they were going to be going but I think they definitely would have wanted to keep Von Bell there and been able to sort of seamlessly transition between Jesse Bates and Dax Hill with Von Bell as the steady presence alongside him and and help that process out yeah Nick Scott is a guy that was a like a seventh round pick a few years ago um, has actually had a reasonable amount of playing time. And his playing time has gone up as the Rams' need has increased and as their defense has had some turnover. Um, he's been decent against the run. He's 
you know, more of that type of player, despite relatively sort of small in stature, his coverage grades have not been good. I think that's where you would be concerned with him stepping in and replacing the kind of player that they had in Von Bell, who was admittedly, you know, more of a strong safety relative to Jesse Bates, but, but has been good in coverage along with the run game. So it's definitely a sort of, you know, a contingency move, but I would be surprised if Nick Scott didn't find some competition coming in by way of the draft um, and sort of maximizing the chances that they're able to uh, have positive play at that spot going forward. Talking to Sam Monson, lead NFL analyst, pro football focus. And uh, before we go uh, draft questions, let's talk about the NFL as a whole. It's been an interesting free agency period since the end of the Super Bowl. What has been the biggest surprise for you when you look at the league as a whole from what we've seen over the last uh, week or two? Um, A little bit of surprise that we haven't seen more movement when it comes to trades. I think because the free agent group this year was pretty underwhelming, particularly at wide receiver, and given the precedent that we saw last season of teams needing that number one guy going to trade for them, I'm a little bit surprised that there hasn't been more moves made uh, along those lines. Obviously, DeAndre Hopkins is still theoretically available. The Brandon Cooks uh, deal to Dallas was the one trade that kind of did get made. But, you know, there are teams that still, I think, desperately need that number one wide receiver. And there are teams that maybe they don't want to move a receiver. But if the right deal comes along, I think would find it tricky to turn down. Um, I'm kind of surprised more hasn't been done to, to try and really move that along. I wonder if teams are trying to sort of get ahead of that and say, well, now the value is no longer there. We're, we're going to move in a different direction. And then the other big surprise to me was San Francisco being the team to yeah. you know, make a big splash with Javon Hargrave, who was arguably the number one free agent overall available you know, this offseason, a team that we consider sort of one of the most complete rosters in the NFL, a a true Super Bowl contender diving in there. And I think probably flexing the muscle that you get given because you have multiple quarterbacks on a rookie contract. (laughs) I I think that's basically what they did is take advantage of this very unusual salary cap situation that they have now. Yeah, that's true. They they have uh, Trey Lance, Brock Purdy coming off the elbows, signed Sam Darnold. So uh, certainly going to be some pressure on uh, on Kyle Shanahan to try to figure that out. And speaking of rookie quarterbacks, let's shift now to the NFL draft. I'm sitting here yesterday, Sam, and I'm watching the Ohio State Pro Day, and I'm watching the way that Frank Reich and Josh McCown and the people from the Panthers are interacting with C.J. Stroud. And to me, the body language said everything. These guys were fired up. They were excited. It felt to me like they had their guy. And there's a video out there now of Josh McCown saying, well, when we get to Carolina, you're going to do this or blah, blah, blah. How do you see the top five of the NFL draft shaking out at this point? Yeah, it certainly looks like Carolina has dialed in on on C.J. Stroud, which was the report kind of all the way along, which is the way the the odds moved the second that Carolina Mm -hmm. um, traded up to number one overall. So all the pieces are aligning that say that's the way they're going to go. Uh, The other thing being they sent upwards of 11 guys to his pro day. I mean, the average is apparently three or four in terms of personnel for any single team showing up to a pro day. The Panthers sent 11 guys 14 if you listen to, to Jim Nagy. Um, so if they are faking, if they're acting, <laughs> they're doing an incredibly good job of it. But yeah, it, it's starting to look like CJ Stroud is going to go number one overall. I think the rest of the kind of 
uh, analysis would say that Houston are going to go Bryce Young at number two. And then the question becomes, you know, where did the next two guys come off the board? Anthony Richardson from Florida and Will Levis from Kentucky. And, you know, do they start to slide or do those teams you know, attack those guys as the only two available options left from this first round or from this top tier of quarterbacks? When I look at the Bengals towards the back half, half of that uh, of the NFL draft, this is a situation where typically I feel like you go best player available more than you necessarily go with need. Uh, they still certainly have some needs. When you look at the tight end position, this is a tight end rich draft. I'm still very concerned about their secondary and their cornerback positions considering guys coming off of injury. Eli Apple hasn't re-signed. The loss of Bates and Bell behind them. And I still think this team really needs an edge rusher. When you're sitting there looking at the Bengals at 28, does it feel like, okay, let's keep building this offense with Joe Burrow for a situation like a tight end? Or are you still trying to address the needs of what you might be having on the defense? Or does all that go out the window and you pick best player available? How do you approach that at at the 28th spot? Yeah, I think you're right. You probably do look to go best player available, but there are a lot of times where best player available and need can kind of coexist and, you know, you lean in a certain direction. When you reach the bottom end of the first round, a lot of times there's several players you're going to have very close together in terms of, you know, draft grade. And if you happen to also have a glaring need, a tight end, and one of those guys is there with a comparable grade to a, um, to a linebacker or to an offensive lineman or to a wide receiver or whatever, I think you can easily square that by grabbing the tight end, even if it's you know slightly you're taking the guy you know two spots lower on your overall board. So yeah, I think they're in a pretty good position. I think at the bottom of the first to be able to mesh team need and best player available. His name is Sam Monson. He's the lead NFL analyst, co-host of the Pro Football Focus NFL podcast at PFF. Sam, what's the best way for people to follow along with everything you guys have going on? Yeah, PFF.com or the PFF NFL podcast, wherever you get your podcasts or YouTube. That's where you find uh, the majority of our stuff. That's awesome, Sam. Thanks so much for making some time for me today. Have a good one. Anytime. Take it easy. That is uh, Sam Monson. Always love uh, listening to his analysis and uh, kind of seeing things things from a bird eye, bird's eye view, he said, as he continued to learn how to talk uh, from, uh, from Sam's perspective. And uh, I really appreciate him stopping by and uh, look forward to seeing how this, sh- this, uh, th- this plays out, this shifts over the next uh, couple of weeks. There's still one big domino to fall. I didn't get into it with Sam in – that is Lamar Jackson. What is Lamar Jackson going to do? Is there going to be a team that could sneak in and give him a ton of money? The team that I keep thinking about when it comes to that would be the Indianapolis Colts because all of a sudden the AFC is just full of great quarterbacks, and it's going to be like that for a little while, especially if Aaron Rodgers comes over. You've got Rodgers and, and Burrow, and you've got Mahomes, and you've got Allen, and assuming Tua stays healthy and continues down the path that he was on, and you've got Herbert and, uh, and all these really good quarterbacks in the AFC. And, you know, the AFC South is still a winnable division. I don't think Ryan Tannehill is going to be the guy that leads the Tennessee Titans to a Super Bowl. Trevor Lawrence is on the verge of becoming a superstar in Jacksonville. And then Houston, obviously, with the number two pick, it feels like they're going to get Bryce Young. So what does Indianapolis do? If Carolina has jumped up to one and the top two quarterbacks are off the board, 
the Colts are on record of saying they're tired of having these Band-Aids at quarterback, like with Phillip Rivers and Carson Wentz and Matt Ryan. So are they going to go after another quarterback that is the most unproven? Did they fall in love with a Will Levis? Could they possibly trade back? Are they going after an Anthony Richardson, which is also a project? You know, what exactly would Indianapolis do? And then I look at it and I say, well, you got a, you got a great first-round pick. You have to give up two of them to go get Lamar. Lamar is a proven guy. He's already got better weapons around him than he has in Baltimore. And that could be a significant change, an equalizer for this Colts team, who has a good defense already in the AFC South. I look at that, and if I'm if I'm the Colts, I'm legitimately thinking about that. Because Lamar is not just a Band-Aid. Lamar is a franchise player. This is a former MVP we're talking about. And if you can't get your guy... And I understand if you're if you're the Colts, you're thinking about rebuilding, and you're you're probably setting yourself up to be able to do that with a rookie quarterback. But at the same time, these guys have been looking for somebody since Andrew Luck, and they haven't found one yet. I wonder if there will be a team like Indianapolis that could come in unexpectedly and make a run at Lamar Jackson, or if Lamar ends up back in Baltimore on a deal uh, that makes sense for both sides. I I really don't know how that's going to shake out, but it's one of the more interesting parts of uh, of this offseason. Uh, we'll continue the Bengals conversation. We'll kind of take a bird's eye view of where they're at right now going into it. I'll give you my thoughts uh, on what I think they should do and if that's changed at all. You're listening to Cincy 360. Phone lines are still open, 513-749-1530. You can tweet at me as well, at Audie Elmore. That is A-U-T-Y-E-L-M-O-R-E. We'll continue the Bengals conversation next on the home of the Bengals, ESPN 1530. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.